0: I think a true hybrid system—wind, solar, batteries, and engines—that lastly the software. We're optimizing. I call it orchestrating all the three assets on the island.
1: This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we are talking about hybrid energy systems and an unexpected new future for diesel generator technology. You've heard me talk about the importance of energy generation in the developing world and also islands where both resources and the economics of common energy sources are less likely. You've also heard me lament the use of diesel generation in particular. The common line of thinking is that it's expensive, dirty, and inefficient. Today I want to correct some of those perceptions, Yes, diesel electricity generation can be those things, but my guess says the technology has taken massive strides in the last few decades. They've added scrubbers, same as large power plants, and as natural gas and other light fuels become more prevalent, many of these older diesel plants have been retrofitted for cleaner fuels. In the renewable era, diesel and combustion turbines are going to play an important role, kicking on at a moment's notice to answer the intermittent nature of wind and solar in particular. Even our guests in episodes 69 and 73 admit that this diesel generation is critical to balancing out renewable energy. My guest has been building these generators for decades. He says they didn't even know what they had until a chance conversation during a visit in Colorado. And, like many of my episodes, they emphasize the importance of storage to the equation. Renewables are the gift that sometimes gives when we don't need it. Kind of like that scene in Jerry Maguire when Tom Cruise is giving everyone presents. Yes, look, look. Ray, I got some gifts for you. Would you like a, a hat,
0: Steelers? Got it in gray, too.
1: Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> Storage is like the ant played by Bonnie Hunt, who takes the energy we just don't need right now. Oh, my goodness. Look what I've got here. This is an energy bar. This will keep you up all night. Oh, see? That's not a good idea. I'll take that. Yeah. Okay. Laurel, eat them. Yeah, that makes a big difference in places like islands where there isn't an expansive network of power plants. When renewables are generating, you want to capture that. Storage plays an even bigger role here because it also buffers between the renewables and the conventional generation, which can spin up in a matter of milliseconds. My guest says the key to making all of this work together is their software. He says the software also helps regulate how much assets like the storage are being used, charging and drawing from the batteries are essentially depreciation because they take up one of the limited number of cycles. By coordinating between fuel generation, renewables, and storage, we have a hybrid energy future that is critical to smaller grids and sign of things to come for our own. My guest today is Risto Paldanyas, Director of Business Development, Energy Storage and Optimization for Vartzilla Corporation, based in Finland. Vartzilla is over 185 years old. It's technically older than Finland itself. The company has been building diesel engines since 1938 and for decades has been a world leader in diesel fueled electrical generation. I was lucky enough to talk to Risto in person down in the Big Easy. Yep. We were both presenting at the PowerGen show in New Orleans. In fact, I walked out of this interview and right up on stage for one of two presentations, one on conventional generation, and the other on energy storage episodes I've done. If I had more time, I would have rolled Riso's hybrid system into that discussion. In 2017, Vartzilla acquired Greensmith, an energy management company that is able to orchestrate this symphony between the different energy assets. You may hear him refer to GEMS or the Greensmith Energy Management System. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Risto poldanius. Here with Risto Paldanius, Director of Business Development, Energy Storage and Integration for Vartzilla. And Risto, Vartzilla's history stretches back over 185 years. You were telling me earlier that it's actually older than the country it's in, it's headquartered in. Yeah, Finland. yeah exactly. You've recently announced several big changes with the company Vartzilla has. How has your fleet of
0: products in the energy sector changed over the last few years? We started the reciprocating engine land-based engine power plants somewhere in the 70s and started to develop. The company's other leg is on the marine business, and that's where we always had the engines. And somebody had a great idea that, hey, what about taking these engines from the vessels, put a generator behind them, and have them as a power plant? We were, I think, one of the leading companies in developing the reciprocating engine technology for power production. And through that, I think we were using liquid fuels, uh, diesel engines, but then we started to develop pure natural gas engines, which is now over 50% of 40 v supply to our customers today. And then we started to see a lot of changes in the market. Renewables coming in and realized that is very beneficial for our engine business because the engines are very flexible. What comes to the starting and stopping and high efficiency. Who are your biggest markets? Because we've talked about this
1: on this podcast a lot about diesel engines being a, and we're going to get into this more, but kind of a last resort for places like islands,
0: developing countries. Is that still your market? Yeah, we have developing markets. Typically the liquid fuels, diesel for for example, is the only fuel available. There's Mm -hmm. no natural gas or LNG is too expensive or the consumption is too little. So it doesn't make sense to build the LNG infrastructure. But then of course, in the developed world or OECD countries, the gas is the cleanest fuel there is to use for energy production. So gas engines, they're now the majority that we supply for these markets. And as I said, more renewables we're getting in, more flexibility from the dispatchable thermal generation you need, that means that that's very interesting market for us. And if we look at the data, of what's going to happen to the traditional base load cold fire power plants or even combined cycle power plants, they're going to shrink probably. But then they call it the peaker of flexible power generation will gain ground. We strongly believe in that in our engine solution. That's what you think the biggest opportunity for growth is, is more of the peaker. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Of course, it varies from country to country, but globally speaking, that's one part of our business. And then, of course, the energy storage is another big growth area for us.
1: And your company, has historically been best known for producing power plants that can start quickly. You say the company actually started making diesel engines on ships and grew from there. Diesel engines, and this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time because, again, we have a lot of renewable guests on, and they're like, ooh, diesel engines, yuck.
0: <laughs> <You>
1: <laughs> what would we be surprised to know about diesel generators, especially when it comes to emissions? And what has Värtsilä been doing over the years to maybe clean it up as much as possible? Let's make a defense for diesel yeah. <laughs> engines here because they yeah. play a very important role uh, in a absolute, lot of
0: places. Uh, They're absolutely, kind of the generational no, e- Even more so in the power generation, but on the marine side, it's the only fuel the only that the vessels going hit. across the Atlantic is, can use, right? At the moment, at least. We've developed as lean burn engine as you can, so the starting point of emissions is already low itself. But then we have the uh, traditional scrubbers which are cleaning the exhaust gases. We have SRC, selective catalytic reactors, very similar than in a car to clean the exhaust gas.
1: I think a lot of what comes to mind for people here in the United States is getting behind trucks and they're (laughs) blowing the black exhaust. Not nearly the same thing, right? No,
0: no, not at all. If you look at the power plant, which would run on diesel, you probably don't see it here in in the U.S., but in countries where that is the only option, you don't see visible smoke. They are really high tech. Even diesel as a process was invented 100 years ago. Even that technology has developed a lot.
1: You talked a little bit about natural gas and how more of that is coming online and even LNG, though a little bit slower, it's logistically difficult Mm. in places, but tell us about the, again, the critics always point to diesel, heavy oil, the liquid fuels. Are they still playing a dominant role? Or are we seeing them come off and lighter hydrocarbons,
0: natural gas and propane? As yeah, more of is more about that? I think it's an economical play and traditionally diesel, HFO are expensive fuels. If there's a possibility and business case for remote islands or mines, for example, in Africa or elsewhere to switch over to gas, I would definitely think they would do it. We can also switch because the technology is actually different diesel engine or gas engine. In a gas engine, you need a spark plug, but we can existing power plant can be converted from diesel to run on gas, for example.
1: Are you seeing more of that? Are you doing that among your own fleet? We are, wherever the
0: fuel is dictating the decisions. For example, I know LNG terminals has been built in Dominican Republic, for example, and eventually the network and the local supply vessels come into play. And if it makes sense for another island to switch over the LNG, then we're happy to do that.
1: Risa, one of the things that's been fascinating that I've talked to a lot of guests is it seems like our entire energy landscape has changed 180 degrees in about the last 10 years. Renewables, fracking, the dynamics that that's created. A lot of this stuff is touching your company. For years, you were the diesel engine company. And now you are transitioning more into renewables, which is really exciting. And you've been at this company, so you may have a long enough memory to know (laughs) when it was not always that way. So tell me when you really started seeing them get very invested in renewables, because it seems like that's where you are at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I joined the company in 2010. We started to understand and actually I remember well a road trip from Finland to Colorado. Our customer has a power plant there, which wasn't operating. We went to the dispatch center in downtown Denver and heard this is the best plant we can have. And we're a really big question mark above our heads trying to understand And the person there explained there's a lot of wind in the area already, but the wind is not following the load. And he said, with this power plant, it gives me time. If I need to start that bigger power plant in this case gas turbine combined cycle plant and then I can see what happens with the wind. It might not go as low as before so I might not even need to start the plant. Then we started to understand there there's a probably role for this kind of a very flexible fast starting stopping plants in power systems and through that we started to look at putting all the different assets in the country or island and see what happens in the future. Okay if you invest into a combined cycle plant does that allow you to meet your renewable targets? because you have a thermal base load power plant, which is not very flexible. Does that hinder you from the renewable goals? That really opened our eyes. There's clearly an increasing role for this type of generation as, as more and more renewables come online.
1: So we took the existing technology that you specialized in and were able to hang a hybrid system, hybrid power plants that's featured pretty predominantly now on your website. Tell us about those. Greensmith, you made that acquisition mm-hmm. in twenty. 17, yeah. And I think that was really where the hybrid plants came uh, on.
0: Is that right? Absolutely. We were probably first looking at the standalone energy storage systems, and then Greensmith at the time being the leading energy storage integrator in the market. Having that software in-house, we saw that with increasing amount of renewables, there will be a point that you need to do super fast, even faster than the engines. Energy storage, I think, is the fastest thing there is in the power grids nowadays. And doing the frequency regulation, like in PJM market here in New US. But then also the fact that probably there will be a day that there's too much renewable solar or wind. Like in California, everybody knows about duck curve. You might need to start shifting that energy towards the peak and managing the evening ramp, which was early in the morning, but now the sun goes up at the same time, so it kind of dampers that. But now as the sun goes down, the energy, the evening peak is still there, then the ramp delta there is quite high. Maybe the energy storage will start doing that. And then combining it, as you mentioned, with the hybrid. So we were the other side of it. How can we even improve our already flexible engine power plants with energy storage? So now can we say that you have instant power sure. in milliseconds, basically, and then start the engines. which still start in two minutes. So the bridge kind of like that gap. And depending then, of course, on the market models, if there's a revenues to be earned for spinning reserve from non-spinning assets, which this engine would not be running.
1: You have a great video on your website showing as the sun comes up, solar comes on, and sun goes down, solar goes off. Energy- storage comes back on than when the energy storage is depleted and then's when you bring on your gas assets. I talk a lot about energy storage. I think that that is critical for things like renewable energy. It looks to me like your system right now is using chemical batteries but one of the things I've talked about a lot is chemical batteries aren't the only player in town. There's a lot of other things. Compressed air, hydro storage. I've seen flywheel designs. Just no. I've seen it all. Do you feel like you're married to chemical batteries or do you you see other storage potential? And I wanted yeah. to see what other storage you're interested in sure, using in sure. your
0: hybrid system. Yeah. We don't manufacture batteries. <laughs> we don't manufacture inverters. We do integration. We package it to a fully functioning solution. Yes, I think like the majority of the industry right now, I think 99% of the installed energy storage systems are lithium ion. Different chemistries in the lithium ion. I think there's a few reasons for that. We all know that battery price and technology is driven by electrical cars. And the second the dropping prices. There's huge volumes of batteries being produced, and that drives down the cost. Right now, by far, lithium-ion is the most cost-competitive solution and lasting, depending on the application, 10, 15, or even 20 years. We have earlier done sodium-sulfur batteries. We're looking into actually doing a hybrid with lithium-ion and flow batteries. Then there's solid-state batteries we're following actively. There's compressed air. There's different ways of doing it. Some of the technologies is maybe more traditional. I'm not sure how well they've been able to drive down the costs. Their benefit they're saying is you can store the energy for a longer duration. Right now we're doing lithium ion mostly. We'll see where the future will take us.
1: It feels like everyone's trying to put as many renewable energy sources on the grid without reliability. I feel that's where you come in. You basically are the adult in the room as it were. (laughs) How do you see your role in the energy marketplace given where we are? We're just renewables
0: all the time. Maybe I'll I'll give you one case example what we've done in two islands, one in the Caribbean, the Bonaire Island, Dutch and they have an engine power plant there, not from us. They have wind 12 turbines, one megawatt apiece. And then we're looking at how can they increase the renewable penetration because the engines and then the wind didn't match perfectly. So they need to spill the wind a bit, which is of course waste. After a study with them, conclusion was six megawatt hour battery, two 40 foot containers and three inverters is the right solution that right now they are saving on fuel, levelized cost of electricity. electricity. Electricity has gone down. Obviously, they're utilizing the wind 100% and they're saving on engine maintenance. They run them less because the wind is doing the job. Then lastly, the gems, we're optimizing, I call it orchestrating, all the three assets on the island. They're going to add more solar in the future and maybe a few engines. We'll be making sure that the lights are on, first of all, but also the frequency is (laughs) as close to 50 as possible. That is all done by the software. We get data from weather forecast, the wind and solar, and then what is going to happen happen in the next few hours or even tomorrow. There's a continuous calculation loop optimizing the dispatch. In the island, they're looking probably this year, 33% of energy produced by by wind. That's quite a bit.
1: Greensmith, going back to them, your card seemed to predominantly have Greensmith on it. (laughs) What are they able to do that other companies haven't been able to do to this point?
0: I think there's a lot of players who understand technology, different components in energy storage. I think the key is the software. How can you maximize the revenue Revenue or cost savings and over the whole life cycle of the energy storage plant Being 15 years when does it make sense kind of like overutilize the battery because you're able to maybe make more revenue or more savings now or is it better to utilize it as you planned lower on a longer period of time help us understand
1: that real quick we always hear about cycles right mm-hmm. you don't want to overspend your cycles yeah.
0: I'll give an example from BJM they went through market changes in 2017 REC-D where all the energy storage assets are playing they of the signal changed from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. You could charge the battery earlier <laughs> only 15 minutes and then you need to go the other way. Yeah. But now it went to 30 minutes and at the same time the signal changed so that it became more volatile. Yeah. A lot of the assets had a PLC-based system. They kind of like got stranded. They couldn't change the operational algorithms on PLC. Our GEMS is a PC-based software. We were actually able to study the signal and at that new market conditions how do you still optimize that existing asset we call it future proof when the market conditions change you're able to update the software and optimize it for the future years and then also plan for the next generation of batteries, right? The next generation of storage. Yeah, if needed, augmentation plans beforehand. It can be expanded if that is the desired strategy. Sometimes it's kind of like declining capacity. It's maybe oversized at the beginning, and then it declines to a certain guaranteed level over the next 10 years. Fantastic. Anything else you wanted to add? I think a true hybrid system islands will lead the way. They are smaller grids, obviously, so it's easier to manage the different assets in there. The grass Asia Island, they are probably going to reach this year 65% of energy produced by renewables. They have wind, solar batteries, and engines.
1: Well, that's really exciting. And also this idea of electrifying the rest of the world. And I would have to think that something that's mobile and uses everything, all the tools at the disposal like yours would probably be one of the first power systems that would go into places like sub-Saharan Africa and all those places that still need the more than a billion people, right, that don't have power around the world, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think island or islanded grids, these are the ones we've seen for solar and wind already, how they've grown over the years. We're going to see wonderful things coming from the energy storage for sure.
1: Truly. I certainly agree with that. Risa, I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies.
0: Natural gas, cleanest available fuel, crude oil. Declining. Nuclear. Declining as a base load generation. Coal. Not surviving. Wind. Future. Solar. The other key component in the world. Biofuels. Interesting in places where available and environmentally sound. Hydroelectric. In my opinion, renewable also, but very limited to geographical locations. Geothermal. Little bit same, certain places, a little bit unknown, maybe more available than we know. If
1: we haven't talked about this enough, energy storage.
0: Jack of all trades, a master of all. <laughs> <laughs> Electric vehicles sooner here than we realize mm-hmm. energy efficiency lots to be done still there maybe a little bit fragmented for different players the different markets
1: and then finally fusion power oh that's somewhere far in the future <laughs> all right riso paul danes thank you so much for your time thanks
0: so much i uh, really you. appreciate it
1: That was Risto paldanius Director of Business Development, Energy Storage and Optimization for Vartzilla Corporation, based in Finland. He says his engines are modular, typically about 20 megawatts each. At one site, they can produce 600 megawatts of electricity, each engine operating independently. Their Energy Plus hybrid energy solution, as they call it, was announced in April 2019. I want to thank Risto for his time during a busy week at PowerGen, as well as Liz Krompacker at Antenna Group for setting this up. This was my third episode working with Liz. All guests have been fantastic. You can find plenty of pictures on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and now on Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 75. Another big milestone and I want to thank everyone, including my wife Ashley, for being so supportive. This episode also marked the first time back in New Orleans since we said goodbye to my dad last summer. He was always so supportive of this show and the stories we were trying to tell. And New Orleans was also a return to the stage for me. The last time I'd spoken at any venue was that address I gave in episode 58 over 10 years ago. I've been asked to speak at several events and hope to have some of them in future episodes. Thank you again for your support. Be sure to join us next week when we speak to the woman behind one of the nation's most respected nuclear energy security operations. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.